Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Nehmer, and with me is uh, re- returning guest, Mike, Mike Bowler. I can, I can use your last name because they've used it before. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how uh, lately people have been getting it right. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you're, you're increasingly famous. You were on um, uh, Cognitive Dissonance yeah. you know, a couple weeks ago. Well, by the time I get this out, it'll be like two or three weeks ago, but right, yeah, yeah, that was that was a fun. <laughs> Those guys have too much energy. Too Tom, much energy. Tom and Cecil, yeah, yeah, yeah. As I always describe, it's the podcast that makes it okay to laugh at female circumcision. Yes, <laughs> they 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 tackle some very disturbing topics and and find. Some way of laughing at it that you thought I could never have laughed at this ever before, and yeah, yeah I know. Uh, well, I'm also well. Over the past year, I've, I've started doing another podcast. Uh, it's called the Bitch Spot Report. It's okay. like a, it's an atheist. Uh, I'm kind of do kind of the same thing as those guys doing doing, but we get we're we're, we're we're so depressed doing the show. You know, it's like you know we talk a lot about this, a lot of the same topics they do, and it's like. I can't find anything funny or anything to laugh about. This is all, you know, all this stuff is so sad. And then uh, it's like, oh, my, you know, it's like afterwards, you know, it's like, why do I, you know, I'm more depressed now after doing the show than uh, when it got started, you know. So uh, just, I don't know how they do it. Just for our listeners, yeah, uh, you, you, you've actually started doing a yeah, a, a a conspiracy skeptic podcast called um, A Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracy. There you go, and it, and it, and it was it. What, what's your website? It was your first name and last name, basically. Right, Mike Bowler, MikeBowler dot com. It'll take you right there. Okay, yeah. Obviously, come to the uh, come to the site for the uh, correct spelling of Mike Bowler. B O H L E R. Yes. Yeah, I, I'd be inclined to throw an E in there someplace around the O. Right, there's there's those who do that. Um, most it's mostly that, and uh, but it's yeah, it's just if you look up yeah if you if you search Mike Bowler, I'm not the black guy wrestling. Okay, okay, okay. And I like how Tom and Cecil were quite uh, quite impressed. You just you just put your first and last name out there. You just uh... yeah, I guess it. For me, it lends credibility, you know, um, that um, having your, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I'm, I stand behind everything I say, you know, you know, and um, so I, I don't feel that it's that bad. I mean, I know some people do. They're, they're, they have their reasons why they, you know, they'll use, you know, the, you know, pseudonyms or what have, what have you, you know, and that, that's fine. I mean, I don't think. It, detracts too much but for me i think for from a credibility standpoint you know mike bowler is he's a stand-up you know i stand up for what i believe in so it's i'm not afraid to use my name yeah and and i mean you know you can be 
a skeptic a skeptic of conspiracies or a skeptic of many things but but especially in America I mean if you are suddenly you know come out as an atheist you know that there you know you you might find an employer is not willing to let you go for you know you don't believe in 9/11 truth or crap but you know you don't believe in god they they, they just may find their way to firing you yeah uh, I, again i'm not i'm not all that worried i mean i i wouldn't want to work for a place that you know wouldn't accept me as as being an atheist so it's it's kind of a maybe it's the old age thing now i i don't care too much and I don't worry about that stuff too much. <laughs> Give me my pension. <laughs> right. Yeah, all right. And I'm I'm 15 years from retirement. I'm I'm not too worried. All right. Yeah. And you are you're you're you're, you're from the Chicago area normally, right? Yeah. Okay. Normally, yeah. Okay. Which is sort of where the cognitive dissonance people they they're in the Chicago. Have you ever actually physically met them? Uh no, but I'm like two like basically about two towns away from uh, I think Tom. So. Okay. Um. But uh, I haven't. I've been stuck here in Detroit uh, for the past year now. So uh, wow, I don't, I, I don't get much of a chance to have a have a life. I guess. So oh. I guess. I, so I so I make that up with podcasting. Okay. And how's how's Detroit going with the whole bankruptcy thing? You know what I mean. Outward, you know, just from my you know day to day stuff. You hardly notice it, you know. I mean, the police are still out on the streets. The fire departments are still operating, uh, but definitely, it's um, there's there is a lot of uh, gnashing teeth amongst uh, the politicals okay. over it. Um, I don't really, I, I don't, I actually, I don't really don't know what to make of it. Um, I read this book uh, by uh, was it Charlie LaBeouf? On Detroit, a American autopsy. Oh. It's uh, he apparently he came he became a writer for Detroit Free Press about the time Kwame got caught with his hand in the cookie jar, and he had been following these different stories, you know, um, talking to the police, talking to the fire departments, you know, going into the fire departments and seeing how how mismanaged and how poorly run the city was and uh kind of i guess he kind of exposed a lot of the a lot of the corruption in detroit and i'm like you know i'm from chicago i mean we get you know, <laughs> which you we'll know, get it, into <laughs> yeah i mean we've, we've sent two governors to prison back to back i mean uh, i think i think we're almost tied with new jersey for you know sending our governors to prison and but you know when you, when those stories break it's usually something very simple there's nothing you know it might be a uh, you know a, a payoff from contractors to get bids and you know just these little these little things that pop up apparently detroit everybody had their hands in the cookie jar i mean the, the fire departments were stealing from the firemen you know to <laughs> you know it's it was just, it's just incredible how, I mean, I'm amazed this town even kind of holds together, you know. Well, you know, here in Toronto, up until a few months ago, I would have, you know, kind of 
look down my nose at uh, at all of this with my you know a little Canadian smugness. But uh, you know we're having our own little troubles up here in Toronto with our mayor. Yeah, I I've been trying to follow that. I mean, my God, I mean, should have you should have elected Chris Farley. It would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> I I it's literally like it's like Toronto is being run by the huts. You know. Everything coming. It's like you know, Jabba is our mayor, and you know, Greedo is our uh, you know is our is press secretary. It's just it's just it's just it's getting crazy. But it's strange that Toronto people, at least, you know, we're not want, walking around embarrassed. We're like, it's in that kind of perverse way. Canadians like people making fun of us. It's just it's just feeding into that. It's like, yeah, yeah, we suck. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Chicago, I mean, we were like a badge, actually, you know, so, uh, I mean, there's always, there's always some story. Of course, it's been pretty quiet since our governor, the last governor went to jail, so, um, but it's, it, it, I've, I've come to the, I mean, I came to the conclusion a long time ago. I mean, every town is about the same. It, it has their, you know, their, the upper crust who likes to, uh, you know they they bend the rules enough, and if they keep bending it, they they don't see it as breaking the rules. So it's uh, then, but eventually, you know, it's like, oh well, wait a minute, you mean we can't be uh, we can't give these guys ten million dollars, you know, or they can't take a ten million dollar bribe for you know construction projects, you know? Oh, I didn't know that, you know, you know, it, and yeah, and it's just the incred the incredulous these guys get where. You know, it's like, well, we've been doing this like this for years, you know, and it's like now it's wrong. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll I'll never understand that aspect of it. Wow, you know, uh, I guess you when you were on um, cognitive dissonance, they're asking about conspiracies, and it's sort of a common question. You know, we conspiracy skeptics get it's like, you know, are there any cons- real conspiracies out there and and, and it, you're always sort of like well yeah of course like you know Iran Contra and, you know Watergate and stuff like that and you, you had a really interesting one and this is kind of why I wanted you on and you, it was the um the 1919 White Sox scandal. Yeah, the 1919 White Sox scandal, and and I mean it, it's you know it's kind of a conspiracy, but it was it was almost the um, how it was sort of uncovered and then the whole you know right it, yeah well we'll get into that but um, right so so uh, this is baseball for you know our Swedish listeners the White Sox you've you've got you've got your Red Sox and that's your Boston team right. Right, and then you get your White Sox, and that's Chicago. Now Chicago has two teams: the White Sox right. and the Cubs. And the Cubs, right? The, the Cubs never win anything, right? This is uh, ever since the Billy Goat, I think. Okay. That's a whole other yeah, conspiracy, goat. isn't it? Yeah, that's more of a like a big superstition, and again, it's something you know, Chicagoans. You know, the one fun thing I think the fun thing about being from Chicago, I mean, we we believe. All sorts of things. There was, well, I forget the guy's name who screwed up the, you know, who had caught the fall ball, but it really wasn't a fall foul ball, you know that. Yeah, right. And, and caused the, uh, the of course, every the whole town believes that he he caused the the Cubs to lose the World Series or the playoffs. I think it was the playoffs they were in. You know, it's like it's kind of a Chicago thing. You know, we was it uh, 
uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, oh, Sam Cianis. Actually, he's the guy, if you remember from the Saturday Night Live bit, where Belushi, Cheeseburger, Cheeseburger. Yeah, 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 right, yes. That's the basis. Sam, he was a restaurateur, and he had this goat. It was, And uh, he would take it to the baseball games. And one day they decided uh, they wouldn't let the goat in. And uh, so, allegedly, Sam placed a curse on the... Uh, the Cubs, and they hadn't win, won anything since then. Hmm. Which you know, is, because in Saturday Live, the old skit, it was, it, was the, it was the Billy Goat, the Billy Goat Tavern or something. The, yeah. the, the name of the cheeseburger, cheeseburger, which people might not even know what we're even talking about. They might, right. even, they might even know more about the Billy Goat curse than, than, this, mm. than this John Belushi right. Saturday Live skit. Cheeseburger, no Coke, Pepsi. Right. <laughs> then there was then there was the Pepsi no Coke. You know, uh, when the when he got a deal on the the Coke machine. Oh really? Or whatever. There was that one. But yeah, that's. I mean, that, that's Chicago. Okay. All right. So now, so are there any other sock colored teams, or is it just you got your Red Sox and your White Sox? Yeah, I'm not a big sports fan. Um, was it? Uh, well, there was some of the older, like the, I think, well, I think it was the Red Stockings was the the Boston team, but then they shortened it to Red Sox. Uh, okay. I'm trying to think what other Sox. I think those were the only two that I know of. Okay, all right. Then. So, okay, so the um, Chicago White Sox. Now, now, otherwise, kind of a pretty storied team the Chicago White Sox but but they had a little little problem in 1919 right a little problem um, a little background first so you can understand where these players were coming from you know I'm, well the, the major leagues had kind of started about that you know in uh, uh, was it 1901 1905 when the National League and the American League. I, I forget which one's first. Uh, like I said, I'm not that big of a sports type, but you know, it, it, league play had started and it was gaining uh, uh, momentum, popularity, and there had to, it's it, it was, um, but anything anything sports. I mean, I, I, I imagine it's it's the same all, all over the world. Uh, you know, sports betting. Right. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of you know, I mean, people betting on uh, the games. I don't know if football how popular it was. Maybe more college. I don't think there was a professional league per se. But and uh, I'm trying to think what others. But I think it was really like football and baseball was the the big ones at the turn of the century. So there was a lot of gambling. Uh, there, there has been there were rumors of other fixes of games. Um, I believe the 1915 was uh, suspected. It was it was the the Cubs, and they they may have thrown thrown the that particular World Series. So there was um you know there was all, there was this gambling um, element that was always prevalent, and the gamblers hung out with the players. The players were really easy to get. You know, have access to because they, after the game, they would go have cigarettes and drink and all that kind of stuff right. afterwards. On top of that, 
you had the, the well, you had the First World War, the the Great War, as it was known at the time, um, where the the nineteen eighteen season was cut short. So the nineteen nineteen season was viewed as a kind of a rebuilding stage. Okay. So so the many of the team owners were really pushing their players to the pretty much past the limit of their you know these contracts and. Uh, commit, uh, Charles Comiskey, who was the owner of the Sox at the time, he was the the cheapest bastard on the planet, and just uh, you know he would make promises uh, for bonuses that he would never pay out. Okay. He, he would he would always find ways out of it, and it didn't help that a lot of these contracts were pretty draconian. Anyhow, they, these guys were paid very little, though relatively they were making they were making better money than. You know, the, an average factory worker at the time. I forget the, the exact numbers, but many of these guys were making maybe two thousand to five thousand a season, where an average worker might make five hundred a year, type of thing. So, so it wasn't too bad, but you know, a lot of these guys were being underpaid. Uh, I forget, again, I should have looked it up. Uh, there was a, there was one guy. Actually, there was only one guy on the Sox team that was actually getting paid uh, what he was worth, and that was probably because he went to college. He had an education. The rest of these guys were, for lack of a better word, a bunch of bumpkins off the farm. Okay. They were just, especially guys like uh, Chick Gandel and uh, Joe Jackson. Right. Okay. Shoeless. Shoe, shoeless. Shoeless. Joe. Joe. Yeah. Yeah, it was Field Field of Dreams. You see that movie Field of Dreams. He was kind right. of the, the subject of that, right? And um, yeah, it, it, well, Eight Men Out. Actually, uh, maybe a spoiler alert might be also in the works here because Eight Men Out is the whole story. Okay, or, right. Or, or, or a real good. So if you haven't seen it, uh, actually, I will point out a few errors in the movie. So okay, okay. Isn't this like trying to spoil Apollo thirteen or something? Yeah, and that, that, that might be it's okay. kind of along that line, but just 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 to be nice to the listener. Okay, right. I'm trying. Try, I've been I've been listening to a lot of Canadian radio, so I'm kind of getting nicer. <laughs> That's infectious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I see the Tim Hortons across the street. I know okay. you talk a lot about Tim Hortons. Yeah. I know how much you love them, but uh, but anyhow, okay. back on. So, but I was going to say this. Kaminsky is that how you pronounce his name? Kaminsky. Kaminsky, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he's like so cheap that like the White Sox they they garnered a name like the Black Sox or something because he was he 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 wouldn't pay for uh, laundry. Yeah. <laughs> so many times the team was taking the field with the dirt from the the day before. Yeah. Some sometimes they'd go weeks without clean uniforms. I mean that's. Part of the Black Sox, eventually it became uh, the uh, kind of the uh, name of the scandal. Okay. But actually, actually, I mean, early on it was, yeah, the guy was so cheap he wouldn't pay for laundry. Uh, if you got injured on the on on the road, he wouldn't pay the uh, train fare back to home type of stuff. You were kind of stranded. Wow. Just a real, just a real, real jerk. But his name. I mean- isn't he his name on a park or something like that? Kamis- Kamiski Park. Or? Yeah, the the old park. Okay. Yeah, where they. Yeah, he, he he. I don't know. He he 
well, you'll kind of kind of catch the um, toward the end of the, the story here how he kind of kind of skated out of uh, getting into trouble over this. But he was, I mean, pretty much an icon, um, and of course, you know. Uh, any any uh you know the, the Chicago teams, you know we, you know the, the honoring of because he was the uh, the one of the first uh, team owners type okay. of thing. So, okay. So you know like Hal, uh, Hallis and you know in, uh, what it was some of the other, I mean some of the other famous I mean vince lombardi you know you get these names and they you know they get stuff named after him just because and comiskey was one of the early um uh team owners okay because uh yeah this the, the south side that's comiskey park uh wrigley field which was owned by the wrigley family the the gum people um that's the cubs uh where they play at okay so um but yeah there's yeah it was really nasty you know uh treatment of the players so uh there's uh and that actually a scene in the movie where they they win their they win the pennant and they go and they get this uh their their bonus ended up being uh a couple cases of flat champagne <laughs> actually that set of steak knives yeah yeah, and that, actually, that that that's that's a that's not tr- that's not true. It was actually the year before they got that that bonus. Okay, I don't think they got a bonus for uh, for nineteen nineteen the nineteen nineteen playoff. But uh, there was a bonus that uh, the pitcher uh, Eddie Seacott he was supposed to get, um, but Comiskey benched him for the last few uh, games of the season, so he was made ineligible to get that bonus and he was and he was hoping that that money would uh he would get that money to uh put his kids through college that's what kind of tipped uh Eddie into the idea of uh throwing the game but really the it really kind of started with um uh 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 what's the uh Chick Gandle um he was the first baseman who had uh he was I mean again most of the team really hated um, Comiskey, and actually, many of the players that had uh, uh, kind of banded together eventually, they were they were like the uh, basically the underpaid, and they really they, they they had a lot of problems with other players. I mean, they didn't get along with anybody. I mean, it wasn't a team like you would think a, a team would be. <laughs> so, Gandal had friends with uh, gambling connections and uh, uh, what's the guy Sullivan I think is his I, I forget the guy's first name but it was Sullivan who first pitched to Gandal the idea of throwing the game um, and Gandal believed he can get uh, a couple pit, two pitchers and a few of the fielders um, and then that, that kind of started the uh, at least the the gamblers now, you know, you know, realizing, hey, we can uh, we can buy these players, and uh, they were supposed to get, I believe, ten thousand dollars each, five thousand up front, five thousand when they when the uh, when the, uh, the, the 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 series was lost, 
and so sorry. So so so, you're right. so the White Sox were in that the, was the 1919 World Series, right? And and then so some some of the players got together with some sort of gamblers and said, "We'll throw the game." Right, and the, so the gamblers would. And who are they playing against? The White Sox. Uh, the Cleveland team. I forget again. I, God, I wish I could remember their name. I did a whole show on it, okay. so I, I should I should have remembered it. But uh, uh, not Cleveland. Okay, but not the Indians at that time. No, not. I think maybe the Browns. I think oh, were at the time. Okay, so but, so the gamblers know. Okay, the Cleveland's going to win, so the gamblers know to bet on Cleveland. Right. Right. Okay. But was this sort of like? Um, you know, like the, like the the Yankees going up against the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's make it the Montreal Expos, even, and and you you, just, you betting on the Montreal Expos, like like as, was it to bet against the White Sox? Was it was it better odds? Um, but it was it was tricky because um, if it, if the word ever got out there was a fix, then. You know, the, all all the odds would go to nothing, or right, right. There, w- there wouldn't be any money to make. So they they kind of did it serendipitously. Um, the money actually came, or it's alleged to come from uh, Arnold Rothstein. He was a a gambler and a and a, a, a mobster from New York, and he kind of financed uh, Sullivan to because uh, Sullivan was from Boston, so uh, Sullivan was placing his bets there. There's a there was a two other guys, um, Bill Burns, Sleepy Bill Burns, and uh, Billy Mahar, who was an ex boxer. Sleepy Bill Burns was a an ex pitcher who was not any good at all. That's why they called him Sleepy. <laughs> and they tried to do this too through a uh, oh, what's the guy's name? It was an intermediate again. Uh, this guy was. Uh, Calling in Rothstein's uh, uh, debts and using that that instead of giving it to Rothstein, using that to finance these these two guys to place bets. Okay. And uh, so there was kind of like a two a two uh, two scams going on at once. The thing was that uh, well it was it was important to get Eddie Seacott, the pitcher, on, on in the in the uh, into the conspiracy because okay. uh, it, the pitcher really controls the game in baseball. Between the pit, the pitcher and the catcher, um, you can you can run the game however you want to, you know. And they were they, it was Eddie Seacott who was uh, probably one of the best pitchers. He but he was his his uh, career was sliding at that time, and it was probably he was probably maybe he might have gotten another year. In baseball, if that, there was a uh, uh, Claude Williams who was the, they got a second pitcher, but then you also had uh, Gandel who kind of organized and he was a first baseman. Um, uh, what were some of the other guys? Because I want to. There was a few other guys, and then then you then uh, they, they were able to get Joe Jackson in on it, and there's kind of a. Uh, Jackson, I think a, a lot of people believe that he may have been railroaded. I mean, well, he was functionally illiterate. Okay. So he couldn't, uh, you know, cause, uh, when they, when everything was coming to trial and there was a, he, uh, 
the um, uh, the lawyers had him sign a confession, but he couldn't read it. Oh. He, he, always, he always had his wife read those those type of things, so um, he had no idea what he was signing. Or, I mean, they explained to it, they what they explained to him that you know by doing this he can keep playing baseball. Well, that was not one hundred percent true, but uh, we'll get to that. Um, but uh, so Jackson was kind of a one of these you know kind of a who knows what really happened type of thing, and there's, and there's still a lot of questions about his his total involvement in this. And then there was Buck Weaver, who he was not involved with it, but he just ha- unfortunately was in the same room when the, the gamblers were talking about. So he got kind of roped in. He he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't rat his friends out. That was what he did. And again, he got caught he got caught up in the the trial type of thing. But and we'll, I'll talk about that in here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, they everyone was paid off. Well, that, well, the players got a little bit of money. Only Eddie really got his. He, he got the five the five thousand. The rest of the guys didn't get as much. Okay. Um, and actually, the third or the fourth game, I think it was the fourth game. There was um, was that third or fourth? Fourth game. Uh, the 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 Sox uh, third string pitcher. Um, Dickie Kerr, Kerr, he was a rookie, so they no one expected the Sox to win that game. Anyhow, unfortunately, Dickie had the best game of his life and actually beat the beat the the Cleveland team. And I mean, stri- the strikeouts and so on. And that that was kind of the uh, what was interesting about uh, this. Um, there's a, a a sports writer, Hugh Featherton. Who had with him and uh, I forget the other guy's name, but they were they were reporters and they were reporting on the game. And Featherston was really big into statistics, you know, player stats. At, at this time, there w- it wasn't as as um, it's not like Moneyball kind of thing today. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, but you know, at the time, for most of them, stats didn't really mean much to them. But Featherston, actually, Featherston is probably the the one person that why we now see player stats every t- you know at every game and you know all all this information is being collected by the player's performance and he used that as to determine these players which players were not playing up to their potential and that's how he, and then he discovered you know he he pointed out like see you know Eddie Seacott Gandal. Um, Oh, Williams. There was four of them that were really playing bad for their for their potential, and uh, the rest of them, because he really identified like six. It ended up being eight. So, um, I mean, pretty a pretty good um, prediction. And uh, the problem was that it, again, it was Chicago. So uh, Chicago loves their teams. I mean. <laughs> And uh, this guy got so much, you know, I mean, it's really, he was being treated like, um, you know, like how I treat uh, Alex Jones. Right. I mean, everyone thought this guy was an idiot. How 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 possible could 
you know, this, you know, the White Sox throw the World Series. And who, that, who, like, who would do that? Yeah, who would do that? Yeah, why would anyone want to do that? And uh, so it was so, um, yeah. And but when it started, when the, uh, of course, Featherston eventually got to uh, Billy Mahar, who kind of started spilling the beans that there was there was a fix in. And, uh, you know, like Sullivan, I guess, skipped to South America. A lot of these people up and disappeared. It was just uh, Burns and Mahar that ended up uh, testifying against the team. And, uh, of course, there was the confessions. Uh, Eddie Seacott signed a confession. Um, Joe, Joe Jackson, and I forget who's the th- there was a There was a third one, but... Um, I think it may have been uh, Claude Williams uh, may have signed a, uh, a confession, but oddly enough, again, Chicago confessions disappeared. <laughs> of course, it was kind of amazing. I, I had actually found uh, one of the lawyers who had, uh, uh, oh, I forget if he, and I, I've got the, I've got the paper. Found I found a copy of it. They found they found uh, Jackson's uh, confession. It was in a it was in a file in a lawyer's office. So um, whether it's the original or it was a copy, um, but it was it was yeah. But it was signed and it was actually donated to the. I forget it was not to not to the. I think there was like a it was a celebration for the. Hundredth year of baseball in Chicago, and they donated it to the the White Sox as part of a a, a traveling display. I think it was so, uh, but it was so uh, yeah. Uh, uh, his um, between Fe- yeah between Featherston's uh, you know use of statistics, eventually it you know brought these guys to trial, but. I, again, it was Chicago. The, the you know, along with the uh, event, you know, it was not only that the confessions disappeared, but magically these guys were found not guilty of anything. And uh, but this was also the time again. So, so the, sorry. So the the so the, the the players who sort of conspired to throw the game. So they were actually found not guilty. Right. Okay. In, in court. Right. But again, this was also you know because uh, the 1919 season was like a re- was supposed to be a rebuilding from the uh, this was after the war uh, gate the you know the gate receipts were were down they were trying to get people into the into the stadiums having something like this you know tainting the game uh, didn't really set well with the owners mm-hmm. that that's where they uh, they brought in. Uh, Judge Kennesaw Landis, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, to become the first uh, baseball commissioner. Oh, okay. So ba- baseball didn't like have a a commission? Is that what they call them? That's what the no, baseball, it, the commission. No, uh, actually, there was, it was just like a kind of a loose. Uh, I want to say it was like a, a loose. Uh, I want to say the whatever commissioner or whoever was kind of overseeing it really had no powers to do anything. But the owners got together. Uh, they pulled together. They they were going to pay to have a, this commissioner, and uh, 
uh, Landis, uh, his contract was going to be indefinite, you know, or uh, um, what is it? Um, uh, indefinite, or you know, or a, it was it was going to be a permanent position. He couldn't be fired, and all his decisions were final. And that's the only way he would do it. It was the only, he said that the only way he's going to clean up baseball is to do it this way. So the owners bought into that. So after the trial, Landis said uh, that uh, you know uh, basically these players will not you know anyone who's caught gambling, consorting with gamblers, uh, who have been in presence of gamblers and not reporting to their team will never play baseball again. So that's where, you know, and that basically ended the career of all these guys. Right. Uh, they all got uh, kicked out. Um, Weaver had, uh, you know, was, he, he never took any money. He never, you know, nothing, uh, you know, he, he never took any money, he never anything. So he kept trying to get, Exonerated, at least maybe get back into baseball, okay. but uh, but it was like no, there it was, um, you know, no no way it was he he was done. Uh, I think he fought it even at, at I think maybe at, I don't know. He, I think they they were even trying to fight it after he died and uh, still couldn't get it overturned. And um, and oddly enough, uh, one of the, the Cincinnati or the Cleveland players. Uh, I hope I've got that right. It's either Cincinnati or Cleveland. One of the Cleveland players was also uh, kicked out because he he was aware and was was gambling on the uh, as part of this uh, this scandal. So a lot of a lot of players lost their jobs, and I think only recently did I want to say in the fifties or sixties did they they were still owed uh, the uh, their uh, 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 World Series bonuses, and um, they sued, and eventually, I guess they got a ruling in favor, so they get they did get, eventually get their bonuses. But uh, other than that, they their their careers were over, and uh, came known as the, the the Black Sox or the Black Sox scandal, oh. and <laughs> it's all history. Well, it was this uh, Pete. Pete Rose, I mean, he, yeah. he like, like, it seems like, like, after that, baseball really had a really, because Pete Rose was involved in sort of gambling, and I don't think he was necessarily even, like, throwing games, like, he was just, he was just gambling, and, uh, yeah. and he was, he was tossed out of, tossed out, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he was saying that he was betting on other teams, he would never bet on, uh, I think it was the Cincinnati Reds, he was the team he was on, and I wonder if he was manager at the time. I don't know if he was actually playing still, but he was betting on other other teams. He would never bet on the Cincinnati team, right, or whoever they were playing, and uh, like that made it any better. But you know, uh, Major League Baseball had this really, you know, uh, zero tolerance yeah. for um, gambling. I mean, I wish they'd have a zero tolerance for steroids and all the other all the other crazy stuff. But dog dog fighting. Well, that's that, right. that's that's football, but right. Yeah. So um, I guess this kind of makes it apparently like like sports and betting. It's uh, 
Las Vegas, right? Like Las Vegas doesn't really have any pro teams because, you know, there's so much gambling going on in, in, in Vegas. It's yeah. all very, I don't think any of the major leagues like NBA or, you know, they, they don't, they just won't locate a team in Vegas because it's just too, too tempting. Yes, exactly. Too, too, too tempting to do it. Now, now these poor, these eight men out, these poor guys, it was kind of like, you know, they were really being underplayed. And and I guess, I mean, now you have kind of like a free agency kind of thing. And even if you're kind of drafted into the league, you're you're not making a bad salary, right? Right. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what the actual numbers are, but it's like, I think 50,000 maybe 60,000 a year for a uh, entry uh major leaguer and yeah and unless you were um you know like scouted through college and things like that um uh, and actually shows a little bit of promise you can get into the 100,000 to uh, maybe 150 range it's just that some of these you know they like the guys like um I mean some of the bigger names uh just not really sure who, but you know the guys that are getting the big, uh, the big, uh, the big paychecks. I want to say maybe, you know, I mean, oh, because actually, like when the, when, I mean, you actually kind of have to kind of look at the contract. I mean, he may be getting ten million, but that may be over, you know, fifteen years, and there's all the incentives that he may have to go through. So, uh, but some guys are getting, you know, and these are the guys that, you know, they are superstars. And I guess on top of the money ball thing, uh, but these are guys that are putting seats and chairs in, in stadiums. I was kind of amazed when I heard that, you know, like a lot of these players are, they, they say, well, I can put, you know, 10,000, you know, fans in the seats. So, I'm, you know, that's worth X amount of dollars. I got these many games to, that'll be played. So I should be getting this, you know, and that's how they figure out his pay. It's not if he's good or not, or if he, but if he, if the guy's putting people in the seats, you know, he can get the, uh, the bigger bucks. That was, that was, that blew me away when I heard that. But you're, you're sorry, you're, you're saying that, that the, uh, uh, Major League Baseball, the, um, like 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 the like they're actually baseball players earning only fifty thousand dollars a year. That's what I think. Uh, but these are the guys that you, you never hear about. Mm. They probably may they may pay play a year or two if they you know they because they come they you know if they can make it through the farm system you know the you know the uh, the minor leagues. Um, they might, you know, and if they can prove themselves in the major leagues, then they can start. And if if they they do show a lot of promise and you know get fans in the seats, they can start making more. But I think the the base pay is fifty thousand. Well, wow. that's actually surprisingly low. I would have thought it would maybe been like half a million or you know a couple hundred thousand yeah. or something like that. I, yeah. Yeah, I could be wrong, but it's, I know it's really low. Wow. Okay. You know, like the, you know, and these are the kids that are like fresh out of college that, uh, don't, uh, oh, they, they're just, I guess, 
there's potential, and so they're going to build them up in the in the farm leagues. So th- those guys are those guys are like yeah, like in the fifty thousand range. Once you can get to the if you can get to the big leagues, then the money starts coming in, and and if you can prove yourself, you know, athletically, um, um, what have you, um, then then the then the money just keeps going up and up. Oh, okay. Yeah, but the, these are sort of original eight men out, right? The Kaminsky guy, like he was paying them crap. So they're in, in some sense that they were trying to, you know, it's like I don't mind taking office supplies because I'm underpaid. You know, it's it's that kind right. of. It almost seems like that sense sense of morality, right? If you know, right. you yeah. you you justify some of these, you know, these. Things you you taking paper home from work because you're you're crappy pay or something, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they, they were mistreated. Um, a lot of these guys, um, you know, they were uh, and and they were basically slaves to their contracts. I mean, sometimes they were these were twenty year contracts, and you know, if they wanted to move to a different team, um, if the uh, just finding someone to buy that contract out, you know, it was almost impossible, you know, unless you were, I mean, I imagine a guy like uh, Joe Jackson, because, um, I mean, basically, um, I mean, a lot of these guys, I think, would have been Hall of Famers, and actually, Dickie Kerr and the, uh, oh, God, I wish I was to remember the other guy's name, were Hall of Famers that, that, were, that played on that team. Guys like, I would say Gandal, Weaver. Um, I think those guys could have been Hall of Famers, and because they were that that good, and they could probably have either negotiated or found someone who would buy their contracts. But you know, the, the way the contracts worked back then, it was just so. Well, uh, Babe Ruth, uh, his uh, uh, when the uh, also known as Jolton Joe. No, that's another guy. That's a different <laughs> Dimaggio. Yeah, yeah. No, one, of the, uh, one of them married uh, Monroe. Monroe, yeah. Yeah, uh, the Joe Dimaggio. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. Um, no, because like uh, uh, Babe Ruth's contract was sold to the uh, to the New York Yankees from the, the Boston Red Sox, aka. Curse of the Bambino started. Okay, that's that's where that came from, because the owner of the Red Sox had invested in a a uh, show. Uh, I think it was a Broadway show that totally failed. And he oh. owed, uh, owed owed people so much money that he ended up selling uh, Babe Ruth to the uh, the New York Yankees to pay off that debt. Okay. What if Sal Gretzky was sold to the? Los Angeles Kings. I don't know, but yeah, I wonder about that. I wish I followed hockey a little better too. Well, I mean, even like the early days of hockey, you know, the uh, again, you know, hockey players seem to be paid quite lavish salaries today. But it, it was only until you know, even you know, in the, like in you know, up until maybe like the eighties, like yeah, like these guys were actually weren't paid great wages and they had to take like summer jobs practically or you know buy car dealerships and and sort of run those during the summertime right well that's see that's the thing uh 
like with uh, a lot of football players um, and baseball. You know, once once the game is over, you're you're, you're kind of used up, you know. And I I want to. Well, my dad used to play professional football. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah he he was drafted by the Houston Oilers in 1960. Wow. And um, he actually he had his choice between. Um, uh, the Houston Oilers or the Green Bay Packers in 1960. And, um, but his real dream was to be a Brooklyn Dodger. Okay. That's what he wanted. He wanted it. So he, he had actually tried out. He, he wasn't called. He went there to try out. There was like an open tryout. Um, we got, we got the photos of it. So there's, there, it's in the newspapers. Okay. Um, Your dad's kind of like a bit of a Bo Jackson. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, he was uh, a local sports legend, I guess. Oh, uh, cool! Track, track and field, football, basketball. My dad holds the uh, still holds his school record for most rebounds. Wow! Um, actually, there was a kid I think ten years ago in football that was it football or baseball? I forget which one I had broke some of my dad's records, but they but my dad still is. His his uh, the 1954 team still holds their uh, win or or uh, no loss record okay. for the for the year. But uh, yeah, my dad did everything, and then uh, but you know I I think when he was in football, I mean a lot of these guys were, I mean these these guys were already wrecks going into the sport. I mean, these guys were shooting, you know, uh, cortisone right into their <sighs> kneecaps to keep, you know, just to keep the pain down. Right. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to be like that. So, uh, he, he decided, plus I, like I said, he, he was more baseball. He, ba- baseball was his love and he right. really, really wanted to be at Brooklyn Dodgers. And, um, it was, uh, so he kind of, but he still kept up with the uh, the local sports. He was he was a high school referee. Uh, he refereed uh, uh, he refereed football, baseball, and basketball until his heart attack, and then he cut out basketball. Got <laughs> <laughs> to roll it back a little. Eh? He had to roll it back a little bit. Uh, wow! But there's even but yeah and. I mean, we, I got to meet some neat people, and I, I actually this is this is actually a real cool story. I I didn't realize. I mean, actually, I, I studied it afterwards because it really got me interested. But there was this. My mom was telling me about a day they went. It there was a um, uh, it was a, a Chicago Bears uh, had been playing these basketball games, like charity things, and. So my dad got to play basketball against the Chicago Bears, and this this was uh, guys like Gail Sayers. I think Gail Sayers was one of them. Okay. I don't know what year this was, or I, my mom's not too clear on those dates. But um, but they afterwards they went for steaks, and this was in uh, Ottawa, Illinois. It's a little town about the middle, north, uh, kind of the middle of the state, uh, kind of uh, north north and central. Illinois, and they went to go for steaks. And um, again, I don't know the. I don't. She doesn't remember the guy's name. He. They only know knew him as Shorty, but he was a, a black kid. Okay. And they they all went for steaks. So my dad, my mom, the Chicago Bears, and my dad's friend, they all went 
to have steaks. And they 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 would seat everyone but my dad's friend, you know, the shorty. Okay. My ma stood up and says, You can't do that. You know, and just uh you know, you know you know, that that's discrimination, you know, all this stuff and so my mom and then my dad started in on it and stood up to stood up to this Mater D who wouldn't see them. Of course, uh, my mom then joked, but of course we had like the the front line of the Chicago Bears standing behind us. <laughs> but then they, they stood their ground and got a seat, and I got, and I didn't realize that racism had was that ingrained, even the North in you know in Illinois, you know, type of thing. And I started doing research about these sundown towns. Uh, this James Lowen, he's he's really he's got a really good book on sundown towns. This is you didn't want to be black after dark. Oh, okay. You know, type of type of towns. So really, really fascinating subject. And realizing my mom was a civil rights. This, you know, because this was like I imagine this would have been in the '60s. So uh, standing up, you know, my mom and her little protest. You know, it's like my mom's cool. Wow, I realized my mom's cool. What was that? That uh, that chain? Like my, my girlfriend and I, we were driving through uh, Pennsylvania at the end of October, and uh, there's all these every you know every turnoff seemed to have a, a, a chain called Cracker Barrel. And I remember that it was a Cracker Barrel. They got in really big trouble. Something similar, similar kind of thing. Uh, you know, they weren't seating black patrons, or you know, they would seat them last, even though they were first into the restaurant and in line and things like that. And yeah, but I mean, this this was going down in like in the nineties, even. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of neat. Yeah, neat little story. And like I said, yeah, and my dad. Uh, but yeah, he loves sports. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, like I, like I said, he really, he, I think his real dream was to be a Brooklyn Dodger. He was, he, 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 I think he, I think he played minor league. And, uh, but eventually, you know, but then, um, he would, get, he was more involved with the uh, little league and, um, you know, doing referee work. Um, he was a high school referee. His, he almost got to do a, a state uh, a state tournament, but that was his second heart attack, I believe, that kept him from doing that. But uh, it's you know, and you would expect a guy like that. I mean, he got to meet Vince Lombardi. I mean, you know, that's you know, kind of you know, that his kids should be uh, more sports oriented. Oh. So, so, so coming back to the, um, so the, 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 so it was a, it was a newspaper reporter, right? Who, who sort right. of looking at the stats and sort of realized that this isn't, th- these guys are playing way awful compared to what they, right. right? And, and then, so I, I didn't quite catch, so how did it, 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 did he start doing investigative work to find out or like, it seemed like, like some people involved in the conspiracy sort of snitched right. on, you know, sort of. Yeah. Well, it started off. I mean, Hugh Featherston. Hugh Featherston. He's um, yeah. He was a sports writer, and he was just taking. Um, they 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 did a, a just a standard scorecard, um, and was scoring the game and as and watching for plays that seemed out of ordinary, and basically looking at batting stats, um, 
uh, pitching stats, you know, earn run average and so on, and uh, saw and was able to. And it sounds almost more like he was relying more on the actual plays because the you know a lot of errors, you know, dropped balls, um, uh, you know, like a you know basic screw ups of um, you know you know the, a guy running for third. I I don't I don't know the uh, the protocol of where, where you throw the ball if if you catch it and you got like three runners. Where do you throw it? Do you throw it at third base or do you throw it at first base or what have you? You know, imagine it's third base or whatever. But um, uh, but watching plays like that and failing to make the making plays um there were um you know ground you know bobbled ground balls um things like that and and noting that as you know on the scorecard and then realizing yeah the, the, this guy's been doing an off make, making an awful lot of errors and uh i want to say yeah and and just between that and just the general poor play, you know, uh, not scoring, uh, not being able to, you know, uh, I mean, Jackson was, I mean, he can take a, he, you know, a, a, a double and he can stretch it out an extra base, you know, anytime he hits, he can, he can get two bases easy, but it was getting to a point where he's only getting one base or things like that, you know, so, um, um, just some of the, you know, it, it, apparently a lot of it was obvious. Some of it was kind of subtle, you know, just poor play. And some of it could have been contributed to first, you know, like the first game. Well, well, the signal to um, that the, the fix was on was Seacott was supposed to uh, hit the batter with a, you know, with a, a wild pitch. And, uh, and that's what he did, you know, okay. so it was like, uh, you know, it's it's stuff like that. I mean, a a, a world class pitcher. Well, that doesn't happen on the you know on the first batter. I mean that that would ha- I mean that could happen later in the game when he's tired out and stuff like that. Right. There's something about um. I I forget the name of the paradox, but like when you sort of look at the like the like the final. Digit in in any kind of say like series like you know how many votes does one candidate get how many votes does the other candidate get that you you would kind of think that it would be the last digit would be kind of like a random distribution but as it turns out that for some reason and, and there's some mathematical proof why this is true but it's kind of like 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 nine is will appear more often than you know than it's one out of ten chance that that so that that, that stati- statisticians they can kind of look at a um like an election and if you were just going to kind of fake you know votes you would um you would just kind of make you know a random will look like to you a random distribution of kind of numbers okay you know 38 votes the next one would be you know 21 votes and you're not going to repeat the one or the eight and and, and so people can sort of detect elect, elect, election fraud by by you know if the last number looks too random for 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 some reason uh, you just yeah. you know you know it's one of those kind of things where you're like yeah you know 
you, you could start detecting interesting interesting fraud and in, in, in uh in, in in these kinds of these kinds of stats but mm-hmm. I, I wish i could remember the name of the uh name of the paradox i'll hopefully i'll yeah. research it and put it in the in the show notes well i was yeah because i i've read freakonomics and they were talking about you know using was it freakonomics or i, I just read this thing on stats where they had uh, determined with this no child left behind here in the states, um, that uh, they're finding a lot of cheating amongst the you know on the test scores mm-hmm. to, um, and they were able. To, uh, it was kind of neat how they figured it out, and they actually, I think Freakonomics had a, a chapter on that where they had figured, because um, it because I, I guess well. In the Chicago schools, they were uh, there was like the, like like in the middle of the test, teachers would actually change the answers on the scantrons and uh, to us you know to to match up, and that's how they I think that's how they determined that there was cheating and uh, I wish I could remember the exact everything else, but it sounds kind of like that because you know just looking at how is it because you they'll you cheat. Well, I said, oh, there was there was something about how how you cheat, um, you know, or it's more like psychology. Like you're you're you want to do you just want to just change the answers, or do you coach the you know? I think it was some along that line. So yeah, it, it, it's actually pretty. I mean, I I find it amazing. I mean, that you know how how you can manipulate a stat, a statistic just by uh, and. I mean, how would you even tell that there was cheating going on? Mm-hmm. Well, and um, let's say the. Um, I guess I do. You, was there anything else you wanted to add about the uh, the uh, the Black Sox or the White Sox Black scandal? Sox. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Well, it is a, it, it is an interesting period in baseball because it was. I mean, baseball was in trouble. Because there there had been a number of other alleged scandals, um, a lot of uh, a lot of cheating. Uh, uh, I, I'm I want to say the 1915-1916 seasons were rigged, um, and baseball, you know, was trying to clean its act up. It actually was Babe Ruth who did. Babe Ruth saved baseball in the United States. Uh, okay. And um, and this he came on he came in the scene on the tw- in the twenties so it was it was it was it was kind of lucky that they had a guy like him that kind of brought the interest back into the game and um, but the, you know and again it's it, it's really a shame that uh, these guys because uh, I mean the the test I mean uh, especially Jackson uh, Joe Jackson he could have been a I, I would bet I mean. If it wasn't for this, he probably would have been a Hall of Famer. And I think, I don't know if he ever got mentioned, but see, Hugh Featherston, even the, the, the sports reporter, is in the Baseball Hall of Fame because he introduced statistics into baseball. Actually, and so there was, there was a lot of neat things that came out of this this particular scandal. And uh, like I said, I mean, it was it is it was a shame that guys like uh, like uh, Jackson and Weaver, I think. Mm-hmm. If anything, the, these guys should have gotten a, a 
maybe a a better break or at least some some consideration. But again, that they were cheating. I mean, and based in you know if there was and if there wasn't the uh, you know the, the rule. I mean, I think still it, it would have been a, a pretty dark moment in baseball. Right. Oh, oh, sorry. I think I was talking about what's called called Ben Benford's law. And Benford. Yeah, okay. and that, yeah. So that that yeah, actually number one, the number one is sort of the most common, uh, and it's sort of the, the 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 leading digit or the first first number. So, uh, so number one, uh, 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 it's not you know one out of. Ten times it'll be more. It's like like thirty percent of the time in 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 um in sort of a you know large sort of set. Let's say like uh, you know votes or something like that. That 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 one will actually appear thirty percent of the time. Uh, I remember they covered this on SGU. Kind of the idea is that and and nine is actually sort of sort of the least. And the idea it's almost as if you know um you know what is it what. Is, you know what does it take to go from you know nine to to uh, you know to 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 ten or you have to get over that next hump is it, sort of I think that might be one of the uh, you know why 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 one and, and the lower digits appear more often than, than 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 higher digits. It's almost like it just takes takes a lot more to get to that next. Yeah. Next, next tier. That next tier, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, mm-hmm. all right, yeah. Okay, and uh let's see. Uh so um so so your 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 podcast uh again is the A Skeptic's Guide to Conspiracy. Skeptic Guide to Conspiracy, right. And yeah, do you, do you get any email from Kooks? Because I I it's been literally years since I've gotten anything approaching uh Kook email or nasty email or anything? Not really. Uh, I'm going to say there was one that kind of. I mean, I, I I try to. I mean, I try in each show to say, hey, challenge me on what I'm saying. I mean, I, I mean, I researched all this stuff out, and you know, I try to be as honest as possible. But if you find problems with anything I say, you know, send me send it my way. I mean, I'll look at it, I'll debate it, I'll do whatever. And I've only had one person take me up on that, and that was on the chemtrails. Oh, okay, and um, but I I did do every so often I might troll through the internet and see if my name pops up somewhere, and I have been called a uh, a uh, what was it I'm a I'm a turd in a <laughs> what was it uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a turd in a idiot yeah and that's that was on a that was on an Alex Jones uh, Infowars oh. forum so okay yeah and it was just the one mention so i i think it, yeah i'm not a lot okay you, you did a pretty extensive uh jfk how, how many parts did you do seven seven yeah seven parts on jfk yeah that is uh you know i i tried to go down every little you know i mean the, the amazing thing about the jfk assassination is that it it is it's so uh i mean it you know uh, i can i can probably describe it as a tinker toy you know you can you take the, the cubans and then you could attach the russians and the mafia and then you got a conspiracy or you can put the cia and the cubans okay you know and you can build all these wonderful little conspiracies just out of the all the information that has been pulled together. Uh, I've counted 
over a thousand books written on the subject. Um, and they, they, and these, these, everyone has their own little niche. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, the Cubans, the Russians, the CIA, the FBI, Lyndon Johnson, uh, Richard Nixon, um, the maf, yeah, the mafia, the, uh, Eastern Mafia, the Southern Mafia, the Illinois Mafia. Um, now, now recently, it's like maybe the Secret Service may have wanted, uh, you know, may have been the uh, second shooter type of thing. Uh, right. You know, and of course, uh, but of course, no one really, you know, believes that Oswald did it. Of course, you know, we've got we've got him in the building. He bought the gun. He, we found there, his prints were on the gun. Um, he killed a police officer shortly after. Right. And, um, so, yeah, I'm, I mean, as far as the null hypothesis, I would say is, you know, Oswald is the shooter. Now, if you want to build upon that and say, well, was, was, how was Oswald influenced? So now, now, Unfortunately, you can't prove those because, right, yeah. you know, there, you, first of all, Oswald's dead, you know, so uh, you can only make inferences. You know, why would Ruby want to shoot Oswald, you know, and things like that. So it's so it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful little conspiracy that kind of builds upon itself and it can you can take it apart and put it back together, whatever, whatever way you want it and, you know, keep it alive. And, yeah, uh, I like what was it? Posner's point was something like Oswald, you know, Oswald is the very type of person, like right after JFK was assassinated, Oswald would have been out on the street pamphleteering or something, you know, and and he does this complete opposite where he just kind of like quietly tries to go home or something, you know, he's not immediately out in the, in the streets, like agitating, which, which, you know, would have been his, would have been his thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean it's, you know, uh, you know Oswald. I mean he's, they, they, they you know, and, and actually, I mean since he's dead, I guess you can, you can, you know, you can pretend he's a Ken doll. You know, you can make him into whatever you want him to be. You know, type of thing. You know, he's he's either a, you know, a crazy communist or a, you know, a peace loving, you know, uh, you know, beatnik or whatever, whatever you want to make him into. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, he's not here to defend himself. Did you did you see see uh, PBS had a interesting show recently, like Nova on uh, on the Kennedy assassination, where they kind of looked at um, you know, a lot of the ballistics and stuff like that. Was was I'm that, trying to remember. I've seen a few of them. There's there's one that I really like because they 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 actually prove the single bullet. Yeah, yeah, that was the line. Yes, exactly. Where they had the the gel the yeah. gel bodies. Okay, I've seen that one. And what what really gets me is that um, they made the same wounds that were found on Kennedy, and they took it to a, a pathologist mm-hmm. to look at it, and they came to the same you know the same conclusion that the the, the neck you know in the front was the entry wound, mm-hmm. and you you know we've got photos showing it not being so. You know, because of the just the way that the bullet went through, and um, I thought, man, this is this is even better. You know, because they were able to even replicate the, you know, the the um, the first shot, the, the magic bullet. 
and uh, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Go straight, and it was a straight line. It was very little deviation, but people don't buy into you know that that, that messes up their uh, grassy knoll shooters and their sewer <laughs> shooters and their uh, overpass shooters. Wow, and I think it was that show too. It was quite fascinating where the. Um Maybe it might be conflating with something else I saw because it was you know it was a 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary, 50th, 50th yeah so it's a big major you know, major anniversary. Um, the the Secret Service agent who was sort of trying to climb onto the back of the uh, the, um, uh, the the Lincoln or whatever he uh, he he's, still, he's like still alive. Yeah. Yeah yeah and he's not he, he doesn't even look like he's a hundred years old either. Right. Yeah. Well, if he was twenty in his twenties, yeah, he'd be seventy. Okay. Maybe, maybe okay. Okay. And I think too that the cop that Oswald was handcuffed—it's I think he's still alive, too. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. All these people suspiciously not bumped off. Very, very strange. Yeah. They—they they know too little. Yeah. Wow. And, and your, your your other podcast, it, what, 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 I forget the name of it, something like Bitch Slap? Or what was oh, it? Oh, oh, the, bitch, the Bitch Spot Report. The Bitch Spot Report. And, yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it, it has sort of an interesting tagline. It's, it's, it's kind of atheist political or? Atheist and conservative uh, view. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which we don't yeah. typically think. I know. And, uh, atheist, you must be like. Free love and right. See, well, in a way, conservatism has kind of been, at least in the states. Okay. I mean, I can't speak to uh, you know other countries, but here in the United States, uh, conservatism used to be just this. Um, I mean, it was more financial or more, you know, you know, if we're going to spend money, let's spend money smart, mm-hmm. you know, type of thing. But you know. In recent times, with the religious latching on, and you know the conservatives uh, kind of leaning toward the Republicans, I mean there was the there was kind of this, uh, and actually I think it was probably what was it uh, was it Kennedy? What was it? there was like a there was like this big flip where at one time the and I think it, maybe it was under like Johnson Johnson Nixon period. Where Nixon had, uh, oh yeah, because uh, well at the time the, uh, the the Democrats were were the conservatives, and um, but because of uh, Kennedy and Johnson's uh, racial uh, uh, equality uh, uh, legislation and actions, actually caused all many of the Southern Democrats to switch over to the Republican Party. Which of course the Southern Democrats are heavily religious and so on, so that brought you know that took these uh, took that you know took the conservatives over there, and uh, they're really I like to think of myself as a just a core re- uh, conservative where we, we we want you know um, financial responsibility you know fiscal you know responsibility that type of thing where. And I've, I've said it on the on the on the podcast. Uh, I'm not opposed to uh, you know various civil rights or anything like that. Uh, 
you know, gay rights uh, or LGBT, you know, all the, all those because it costs you money. Yeah, it costs you money to, to, to you know, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I would love to see you know expanded uh, research and expanded NASA because you know, for every, I mean, I, I think what the numbers are like for every dollar we spend on NASA, we get it back in like 130 dollars, mm-hmm. you know, in you know, benefit, you know, to the economy. So it's like, you know, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, why, why fight, you know, why are, why are we fighting that? You know, and. Or the, so, uh, or the, uh, I mean, almost the pittance they spent to develop the internet has been paid back so much. You know, yeah. You know, they can do some crazy things for the next few decades and still not, <laughs> still yeah. not reach parity. Right. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, you know, you know, investing in, in education, investing in the, you know, in these different, you know, these different, you know, even the programs. Now, of course, for me, I would like to see these programs actually, you know, have the benefit. And I'm not worried about a financial benefit. I mean, if it means that these kids can get a, a better education, which means they can then advance into, you know, higher education and perhaps then, it comes back into the economy through their, you know, innovations that they can come up with. You know, it's like, you know, it, it, it's it. I mean, it's money well spent, and uh, that that's that's kind of our thing now. And I, I do. I'm not. Uh, I'm not that hard nosed like on immigration. I mean, uh, Cephas is. He he's really. That's my. He's the host of the show. I'm co-host. Okay. Um, He's he is a bit hardline on you know immigration, but I'm like, I don't really see what really the big problem is personally. Um, I mean, there is some there there are some loopholes that you know, but you, you, it, it's for anybody, and these loopholes people are going to take advantage of it. I mean, you you know you you give a you know, um, you know if you can give a subsidy for some type of fuel or whatever, the all the companies. Will, jump on it you know so yeah they're going to get a subsidy to produce this you know whatever and take advantage of a tax break you know it's like okay that i don't see a problem with that you know type of thing you know if, if that makes sense right right but uh yeah i mean but the core conservatives i mean we're we're more fiscally you know we want fiscal responsibility but as far as anything religious i mean I mean, this religious stuff is, is more of a, I want to say a leech on conservatism. You know, they've, they've attached, they've, you know, it's, it's a tick that's sucking the life out of conservatism is, right. is the religious right. The, you know, these, those nasty, those nasty people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess we, we should, we should wrap up. So Mike, okay. are, are you, um, you going to get any, Thing to announce, or any uh, you, going to be uh, any skeptical conferences, or yeah, well, no skeptical conferences, but uh, I am. We're also we also do this. Uh, it's a uh, irreverent skeptics, uh, uh, kind of a Google Hangout, and we're actually in the works of maybe turning that into a podcast. Okay, you're hearing, you're hearing it first. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm releasing it here on Carl Mamer's the <laughs> Conspiracy Skeptics Show. Yeah, probably next year there'll be that that, that podcast. Um, 
But right now we do this Google Hangout. A bunch okay. of us get together, and we're getting people watching. It's up on YouTube. Um, it's um, it probably uh, it'd probably be easy to find it as irreverent skeptics um, because there it, it did have this really weird name before, but now we we were calling it irreverent skeptics. Um, so that's the big thing. Uh, what else? Yeah, I'm still I'm still plugging away on my own my own stuff, um, trying to trying to punch it up a little bit. I mean, you know, on it. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm very critical of my own my own work, and a lot of my shows are they're very dry. I mean, history is a pretty dry subject, you know. So um, I'm trying to figure out ways of punching it up a little bit. So hopefully, maybe maybe within the next few months, I can punch you know make it. Make it a little bit more interesting, but uh, yeah, but yeah, but, yeah. But ultimately, it's just you know, it's what you learn, right? You know, it's right. if you've got five listeners or fifty thousand, you know, it's just you're learning yeah. something interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I got, I think, um, I'm, I think I'm at like roughly about fifteen hundred listeners. Okay, great. Right. So it's it's doing good, uh, and I, I do get a lot of good feedback. But then, you know, I mean. Cognitive dissonance. I love those guys. I loved being on the show, but I think some of those listeners are looking for shows like that. And when they go from that show to my show, it was like probably a major letdown. Oh yeah. So I I got a few um, unhappy people. (laughs) So about that. So uh, not not I didn't do this on purpose, but it was. But like yeah, but these guys had so much energy. I mean, I just jumped in and I started. I mean, I maybe maybe if I get one of those guys maybe to be a co-host, I'm like, maybe I can punch that punch the yeah. show up a little bit more. Well, I mean, you did it. You did a good job. I consider uh, cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, I was I was having fun. You know, I was having, I had a lot of fun on it. Right. Like I have fun on this show. You know, it's it's it's, it's a great little. Uh, it's one of those ones I always like to listen to. I mean. When you get uh, like Stuart Robbins, I mean that guy. I've been, I've been talking to him on and off, and uh, man, that guy, I, I love his show. Yeah, yeah, Stuart, Stuart, uh, the uh, exposing pseudo astronomy. Yeah, yeah. All right, and if you, if you do show up someplace like in a skeptical thing, what, what what drink can somebody buy you? Just a cheap beer. Cheap beer, okay. Right. Yeah, me and my girlfriend, we were in uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, this is this is this is the kind of man I am. I take my girlfriend to romantic uh, Rust Belt uh, <laughs> trips, Detroit, Pittsburgh. We took her to Philly. Yeah, and um, and we were in Pittsburgh, and uh, Pittsburgh's getting a lot of good word of mouth up here in Toronto. And I didn't realize Pittsburgh has like the greatest beer ever. Every place you go has got like three pages of craft beers you've never heard of, and they're all wonderful. So, yeah, if you if you're a huge fan of beer, uh, Pittsburgh's your place. But uh, yeah. Garden, the Gardner House in Gardner, Illinois, that is a. If you find yourself in Illinois on Interstate 55, there's this. It's it's a it's a German it's a German restaurant. Hundreds of imported beers. Wow! I, mean, I, okay. I do, you know. I mean, some of the stuff. I mean, I mean, when I go there, I do like a Hacker Shore, <laughs> and um, but they had. I mean, it's just you know. I think they have like a hundred and thirty some, hundred and forty some beers, and it kind of they kind of rotate 
on top of it. I mean, it's it's an excellent place. It's a little hole in the walls kind of kind of place. So, uh, but it's it's really nice. Very nice. All right then. Okay, well, I'll I'll let you go. And uh, all right, have fun in Detroit. Hope you get back to Chicagoland soon. I've got two weeks over Christmas and New Year's, so I'm 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 chomping at the bit right now for that. Nice. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Catch you later. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.